0: typically this is my cue to walk off the platform um, and it's not this morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here uh, but I'm excited to be able to be a part of what Keystone is doing as we are marching through the book of First John. We have a primary preaching pastor in Pastor Kyle uh, but Keystone believes that it is sometimes advantageous to hear many different voices all echoing the same truths and Keystone is blessed with a robust bullpen of preachers. And so whether you're hearing from Pastor Kyle or Pastor Joel, and next week you're going to hear from our youth pastor, Pastor Ben, who's getting his start, Um, we're glad to be able to provide the same voice from many different people. The benefit uh, of doing what we do, oftentimes marching through long books of scripture, is that for me as a guest preacher, I don't feel like I'm parachuting into new territory. Pastor Kyle and Pastor Joel have already taken us six weeks up to this point in First John. And the benefit of that is um, you already know a bit of where we've been and in some ways where we're going. The, the difficulty I find though is that if we go too slowly, you might forget what was already said. It's like sometimes we get so buried down in the weeds or we're just looking at the, the trees that we never actually see the full forest. The passage that we're going to read this morning is going to have John uh, have us pump the brakes a bit and look at the full forest. Maybe you understand just why it can be difficult to just study this morning three verses without its context. Maybe in your Bible reading program, you've got just two verses a day. Just two verses a day, and it's random. Imagine if you tried to read the Harry Potter series, and you said, I'm only going to read one paragraph of the Harry Potter series um, per week. How long would it take you to be able to know what the book is about? You need, it would be even harder if you did it, out of order, just randomly picking it out. So I love that we're marching our way through but it, you, you need to be able to see the full context. In order for you to know that the original Top Gun movie is not a volleyball movie, you need to see more than just one little snapshot or sliver and just focus on that over and over and over again. You have to open your eyes. And so John is going to invite us uh, into looking at the full picture. And my maybe encouragement for you is you read scripture, I think there's benefit in doing both. I think there is benefit in slowing down and trying to digest the tree. By memorizing it, walking through life with that just rolling in the back of your head, trying to mine it for as much gold as you can. So you study the words, the phrases, the conjunctions and their functions. You journal out your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. You compare translations and you try to squeeze as much juice as you can out of just one or two verses. I think there's benefit in that. But there's also benefit and you sitting back and maybe just reading 45 minutes. Maybe read the, the full book of Hebrews in one sitting. Not so much so that you can know the, the tree and its roots, but so that you can get a, a survey of the canopy, that you can see the, the big story that's woven throughout the pages of Scriptures. And so I'd invite you to turn to First John chapter, uh, 2. We'll just look at three verses this morning, verses 12 through 14. And I'd say, let's read these words together. John is speaking, and he says, I am writing to you, little children, because you are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one I write to you children because you know the father I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning I write to you young men because you are strong the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one before we begin to unpack all that I feel like this verse these verses say I want to pray for us would you pray Father, we believe that you are our God and that we are your people. And we believe that that is true because of your faithful and everlasting love. We believe that you've gathered us together as a people and gathered us here this morning to lead us just like a father might gather his children to hear his voice. Father, I pray that we would hear your voice this morning. And I pray that you would fill us with a kind of goodness that might radiate from us. I pray that you would comfort us in a way that would turn our mourning into joy, our sorrow into gladness. I pray that you would give us hope, that you would bring restoration. Or for those who are weary, I pray that you would give us rest. I pray that you would satisfy us and replenish us who are languishing, stagnated in our faith. I pray that you would build us as a people for your glory and for our joy. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to use three headings to get us uh, through these three verses. Um, Not necessarily in order as much as in concept. We'll look at the audience that John is writing to. We'll look at the encouragement that he is going to supply to us. And then we'll look at the implication. So let's first consider the audience of who John is writing towards. By this time, John is an old man. And he has walked with Jesus. He's listened to Jesus' teaching. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's walked alongside Jesus through difficulty. He's watched Jesus' gruesome death. He's visited the empty tomb. He's received the Holy Spirit. He's proclaimed the gospel. He's pastored churches. He's received persecution. And so I believe, like Jesus, John has the right to call the church, fellow believers, his little children. He does so elsewhere throughout this book. Maybe you picked it up in what Kyle has already shared with us. He addresses all believers as his little children. And so, really, he uses two phrases. Uh, In verse 12, he says, my dear little children, I'm writing to you, little children. And this is a term of endearment because he loves you. And then he writes in verse 13, I'm writing to you, children. And, and, and basically, if you are a child of God, if you have been born again, if you have come to see Jesus as your Lord and Savior, John is referring to you as a child of God. And so as he's speaking, he is speaking to all believers And yet, he also pick up on the fact that he addresses some specific crowds, and I think he does so because he wants everyone to pay attention to what's being said. And so you might not identify as little children. Okay. He says, I'm writing to you fathers. You young men. You fathers. You young men. And I wouldn't get too caught up in the masculine phrases that he uses. John means to include those of you who are Older and more mature, as well as younger and maybe less mature. He wants the full spectrum, maybe even like our auditorium. If you look around, there are believers in this room that span the trajectory or the the spectrum from very new in their faith to very mature in their faith. And I don't know that it's necessarily based on age because I I believe that there are some young men, some young women who are mature fathers, mature women in their faith. Just as there, there may be those who are older in age but younger in spirit because they came to faith late or their faith has stagnated for years. They're still drinking milk. And regardless, John uses reverence and respect as he speaks to all believers and say, I want you all to pay attention. What, what's the takeaway that I want to get from this? My first point is this. The Bible is for you. 1 John is written for you, believer. I know that sometimes you look at the scriptures and you think, wow, this is a really thick book. This uses a lot of big words, and sometimes I find it difficult to understand. God knew what he was doing when he wrote that book to you. He wrote this book for you. I find great peace in knowing that the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself to us, that we have access to his word. The Bible is for you. I know that there may be temptations for us to try to say, well, he's not really talking to me. He's talking to someone else. And so my encouragement is don't deflect or evade God's word. We might try to sneak out from under the weight of its burden or sneak out from the benefit of its grace. And John says, don't do that. If you you think that the preacher's only preaching to those who have been believers for decades, he's not. He's speaking to you. If you think that this class that's studying the scriptures is just for new believers, just for those who are babies in their faith, I've, I've moved beyond the baby stuff, and now I want meat. And John is saying, don't sneak out and try to deflect the words that John is going to share. Try to sneak around them so that they don't apply to you. John wants us as all believers, you little children, you fathers, you young men, to receive these words as elementary as they may appear at times because the scriptures are a well of truth and grace that we cannot plumb it's in some ways a little like a a swimming pool that's shallow enough for your little baby toddler to wade around in and it is deep enough for a blue whale to swim in we will never exhaust exploration of the scriptures and so if you're an older believer a more mature believer don't check out and if you're younger saying oh this will apply to me later don't check out and he's going to remind us that we need reminding it's not an accident I, I don't I don't believe that God makes accidents in his scriptures It's not an accident that John is going to repeat himself, and it sounds maybe repetitive. I I believe that he's reminding us that we need reminding. He knows how prone we may be to forget certain truths. He knows how slow we may be to actually believe these truths. And so he's going to repeat them saying, you will never outgrow your need to know these things. You ought to revisit them. There are truths that are going to be shared here in this passage that you ought to memorize, that you ought to, to use a phrase from Pastor Kyle last week, bask in, allow these truths to wash over you fresh again and again and again. What are these truths? Moves on to my section on the encouragement. I'll I'll, I'll speak to all believers in this first section. But what is the encouragement for believers? He says, little children, your sins are forgiven. It's the kind of truth that we talk a a lot about at Keystone and that kind of familiarity can, can lead us to not necessarily grasp the weight of it. But I'll say it again. Little children, your sins are forgiven. In Christ, you are perfectly forgiven. And you might, at this point, try to deflect or evade that truth by saying something to the effect of, well, Brandon, you don't know what I've done. I don't. Not everyone might, but I know someone who does, and he sent Jesus to die for the sin that you think is beyond the grace of God. This verse is for you no matter how much you try to deflect or evade it. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven now and forever. Let's just make sure that we grasp the allness of the fact that your sins are forgiven. I'm talking about the horrific ones in your mind and the the petty ones in your mind. They're forgiven. I'm talking about the sins that you committed way back in the past maybe one time instant in the past, that's forgiven. So is the long season of intentional pattern of sin. Before you were a believer and after you're a believer. All of your sin, the sin that you've done, the sin that you're doing, the sin that you will do in the future, whether it was a long time ago or just last night, John is saying, believer, your sin is forgiven and there's a little line at the end of that. Little children, I'm writing to you because your sin, that you are forgiven for his namesake. Why do I find that to be just an encouraging line? Because it doesn't say your sins are forgiven for your namesake. We might try to try to feel forgiven on the basis of what we do. In other words, if I feel enough sorrow or if I shed enough tears or make enough, strong enough promise to never do it again, if I beat myself figuratively or literally, just in my mind, condemn myself, punish myself enough, then I'll feel forgiven. And John is saying, no, no, no. You are not forgiven on the basis of what you do. You are forgiven on the basis of what Christ has done, who Christ is. What he's, that's what it means on the account of Christ. Your sins are forgiven for the, his namesake. That's for what Jesus has done for you. And so avoid the tendency for you to only feel forgiven once you've sufficiently atoned for your sin. Your forgiveness is not dependent upon your restitution, the quality of your repentance, not how frequently you come before him and how fervently you pray. It, it, your sins are Forgiven believers. And additionally, he's speaking to the full church and he says, you know the Father. You know the Father. What's that mean? It means not only are you fully forgiven, but you are fully adopted. Pastor Kyle is going to talk about the doctrine of adoption in a few more weeks, and so I'm not going to spend much time considering this, but maybe just to co- contrast what he says that you know the father to your sins are forgiven, maybe uh, I hesitate to even ask. Um, I won't then. Uh, if, if you followed the drama and gossip of the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp trial, um, I did not. Uh, but I do know enough about that to realize that neither Johnny nor Amber are innocent and maybe you can imagine what it would have felt like if you were on the stand if you were on the stand and there was a prosecuting attorney who was calling into question every intention of your heart every word you've ever spoken this is this is a nightmare scenario for me that there would be a prosecuting attorney who would haul out witness after witness of everyone who I have ever sinned against and have them testify to every nitty-gritty, gory detail about my sin. That is a horrific prospect. And if the judge gave his verdict and said, you are innocent, you are free to go, that would be good news. We might ask, how can it be? And we turn to our defense attorney, Christ, who uses Pastor Kyle's son's words as rationale. I took care of it as reason. That would be reason to celebrate. A a, a God who is just and holy, who declares you forgiven and innocent, is good news. And yet, it is better that the God of the universe is not just a holy judge, but a heavenly father for us. It's the judge who says, you are innocent, you are free to go. But it's the father who says, I love you, and I want you to come to me. It's the father who says, you are worthy and you are loved. It's the father who comforts us and kisses our wounds. It's the father who picks us up and carries us through. To see God as judge who declares you innocent, is good news. But to know that the God of the universe is your heavenly Father who loves you as a son and as a daughter, that's better news. And so believers, I want us to be encouraged this morning that in Christ, we have been perfectly forgiven for his name's sake and fully adopted as his sons and daughters. John is going to pivot and now speak to two groups, although I don't know that it's necessarily exclusively true for just these two groups. But let's speak to fathers first. Fathers, I write to you because you know him who is from the beginning. This is just a really basic, I hesitated to even make it a point, but because John said it, I believe God wants us to hear it. They say, you know him. As I meditated on these verses for the week, I just walked around this facility again and again, rolling around this phrase. You know him. You know him. You know him who is from the beginning. You know Christ. You know the Father. You have read the scriptures and you have seen how Jesus patiently teaches his disciples. How compassionately He speaks to those who are hurting and wounded. How powerfully he's healed the blind, caused the deaf to hear, caused the lame to be able to walk. You've you've seen and heard how Jesus has so strongly rebuked the Pharisees, how he's been so tender and so merciful to the lepers, the outcasts, the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors. You've seen him do all those things. You know the theology, the truths, but you know the experience of being able to say, that's how he's treated me. You, who are fathers, who've been in the faith long enough, know more than just facts about Jesus. You know the experience of being able to walk with him. You've seen his character. You've seen his accomplishments. You've seen his conquests. And you have found him to be compelling. You have begun to walk with him. And John says, I'm writing to you because you know the Father. One of the things that I loved when I was a youth pastor was getting to know the youth. Uh, though junior high boys uh, were not my favorite, they do occupy a space in my heart with my favorite memories. Uh, junior high boys in particular... You just never knew what was going to come out of their mouths. Um, there was one kid who just, he talked about trucks all the time. He'd say point to a truck and say, oh, there's a engine. And I'm like, how do you know so much about cars? And he said to me, you know, I like you. I'm like, okay. Uh, because you drive a Ford. I'm like, oh, okay. I thought it was something meaningful, like I am uh, loving and caring and or wise and compassionate. Nope, I drive a Ford. And I think that's strange kids. Another kid uh, came up to me and asked me in 2008, a long time ago, 2008, who did I vote for? Uh, And then he told me, well, if if you voted for Obama, you're you're following the Antichrist. I thought, oh, wow, junior high boy sure does know his politics. Uh, And it all made sense once I met their fathers. When I met their dads, Something clicked and thought, aha, I get it. Those boys are just like their dad. For better or for worse, the men that these boys loved and knew was shaping who they were. John's writing to you who are mature. Because you know the father, It is possible for you to live in the joy and fellowship with God and his people that we have been trying to cover in weeks one through six. And now, last word for those who are young in their faith. Young men, I am writing to you because you have overcome. You are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome. One thing I want to pull out from this is that our enemy is real. And if you are newer in your faith, you need to know that there is an enemy and that he is real. But you also need to know the fact that you are strong. John is going to refer to the evil one, the evil, in several different ways. He uses the phrases devil and Satan within his writings. We know from the scriptures that he is the great adversary. He is the the tempter. He's the accuser. He's the father of lies. And in the set of the context of having an enemy, John speaks to even young believers and says, you are strong. You are strong. And you think, how can I be strong to overcome Satan? He says, the word of God abides in you. There are really only two strategies of Satan to try to destroy you. One is through accusations, the other is through temptations. Satan will try to destroy your faith on the basis of what he can accuse you for and what he can tempt you with. How can we be strong to overcome Satan's strategies of accusations and temptations? Well, let's envision a scenario where right now the evil one, and maybe that is right now this morning young believer, that this... The evil one is tempting you to throw in the towel in your faith, trying to convince you that you are unworthy of God's love. Maybe he's whispering lies into you, that you are filthy and disgusting, that the God of the universe would never want to have anything to do with you. On the basis of what you've done, and, and probably rightfully, he points to Things that you have done. He is an accuser and rightfully points out ways that we fall short of God's standard. And he whispers, look at this. Look at this. You say you love God and this is what you've done. How do we bear the slashes of Satan when we are being accused? we haul out the Word of God. You haul out some verses that we just covered. Haul out some of the doctrines that we've covered in 1 John. Haul out the doctrines that you have stored in your heart, memorized, basked in for years. You might say, yes, I have sinned. I'm not going to try to deny the fact that I haven't. But I'm going to stand because Jesus is my propitiation. He is my wrath-absorbing substitute. Jesus is the righteous one who bore my sin in his body while hanging on the cross to, taking the cross away the curse away from me. And now I stand before the Father and Jesus is interceding every day for me telling me that I am perfectly forgiven. If you have those truths stored in your heart, you're able to fend off the lies with the truth of the word about your sin. What if Satan isn't trying to accuse you? Maybe he knows uh, that he has been disarmed by the word of God. And so now he stands to try to destroy you with temptations. The word of God disarms our accusations and the word of God defeats the power of temptation. These two ideas Disarming accusations, defeating temptations, all boil down to essentially the same thing. These are all tests of your faith. Whether Satan's trying to accuse you or he's trying to tempt you towards evil, he is trying to get you to believe him over God. He's trying to have you believe his lie over over God's truth. And, And the lies... They're all very similar to each other. God doesn't really love you. If he did love you, he'd give you that fruit to eat. He'd let you do X, Y, and Z. If he really loved you, Satan tries to get us to define love on the basis of his terms rather than on what God has to say about genuine love is. If God really loved you, or if you really loved them, this is what you would do with them and for them. Or he goes completely opposite, still a lie, saying it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, look at this world. You can see the kind of evil, and you're nothing like that. What's a little of this compared to that? These are all lies, and all of these lies are opportunities for us as even young believers to be strong, utilize the word of God that abides in us, and overcome Satan's lies with God's truths young believer, you are strong. You can do what 1 John is calling us to do because you are strong. You've overcome. You have the word of God abiding in you. You can can walk in the light as he is in the light. You can love like Jesus. You can love and obey like Jesus. John is writing to you because, and this brings me to my implication, my final point in the outline. The My my favorite word in this section is the word because. John is writing to you, little children, fathers, young men, all believers, those who are mature and those who are young in their faith, because. Do you know that there's a difference between the word because and the word so that? John uses the word so that uh, to explain his reason for writing at other times in this letter, in first John one: three he says i 'm proclaiming these things so that you may have fellowship with God and with his people. In first John, John one: four he 's saying i 'm writing these things to you so that you may experience fullness of joy. In chapter two verse one, he says, "I am writing to you so that you may not sin." And yet in these verses, John says, I am writing to you because. Here's the difference. If, if after work this week, uh, I drove home and picked up a bouquet of flowers and, and brought them to Bethany, um, she and you might wonder, Brendan, what's your reason for that? And I can give two types of reasons. I can give so that reasons, and I can give because reasons. A so that reason might be something like this Bethany, I'm giving you these flowers because, uh, I'm sorry, I'm giving you these flowers so that you will forgive me. That's not not a bad reason, but it's the reason. I'm giving you these flowers so that uh, you give me a kiss. Not a bad reason. But my reason is that I want something to be different in the future. I want forgiveness, I want a kiss. I want something to change because of what I'm doing. I am giving you these flowers so that is different than I'm giving you flowers because. If I told Bethany, I'm giving you these flowers because you are beautiful, because I know you love flowers, because nothing makes me happier than being able to make you happy, that's a different reason. It's not trying to get Bethany to change in the future. It's trying to get her to grasp a present reality. And John is writing these words to us not so that we would be forgiven, not so that we would be adopted, not so that we would know the Father, not so that we would overcome the evil one. He's writing to us because it's already true. The encouragement for believers in verses 12 through 14 is a kind of because it is settled. He's writing this book of 1 John to us believers because the work of salvation has been accomplished already. I know that we've spent the last four weeks looking at what we need to do as genuine believers. We need to walk in the light. We need to confess our sin. We need to love like Jesus. We need to um, love our brother. Next week, we need to make sure that we don't love the world It is possible for us to think that doing these things is what's going to earn me forgiveness, adoption, a relationship with God, and victory over evil. And John's saying, no, I'm writing to you because these things are already true. The, The works that we may accomplish as genuine believers do provide evidence of our salvation. But our confidence... In salvation is rooted in the grace of God. The confidence that we are saved is not a confidence through our works. Our works may provide good evidence of it, but our confidence of salvation is secure because of the grace of God. That's really my big idea, that I believe John is writing this entire letter to us for this reason. He knows that we are forgiven. We are adopted. We have a relationship with God. We have overcome the evil one. So, because those things are set, settled now and forever now, I want you to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want you to freely confess your sins to one another. I want you to to no longer sin. I'm writing to you so that you may no longer sin. So that you would love your brother. So you would not love the world. John is writing because of these things that are settled and the joy that he is describing in 1 John is possible because grace is settled. The joy that John is writing for us to live in is obtainable because of verses 12 through 14, because of the grace that is settled. This week, uh, my father-in-law sent me a um, message. He, it's a family thread. He just sort of likes to send words of encouragement to uh, his kids and their uh, significant others. And the, the verses that he shared, or the, the words that he shared uh, yesterday morning fit so perfectly into this message that I wanted to share them all with you. Just, it just seems to be a divine uh, encounter. These words come from uh, my father-in-law, who's an old man. uh, He's quoting another old man, Alistair Begg, uh, who's written a book, Truth for Life. Um, If you've not listened to anything else this morning, these three paragraphs uh, are worth you being here. Alistair, from my father-in-law, says, it is vital for Christians to have a solid grasp of the reality that because of Jesus, we have been cleansed from the guilt and stain of sin. The gospel is not just a starting point for our faith, it is the whole point. And the Lord kindly provides constant reminders of the truth that we are his children so that we can progress in our walk with him. Our standing in Christ is unalterable. Once we've been adopted into his family, God will never loosen his grip on our souls. During our best weeks we are no closer to God than during our worst week because our standing with the Father is built upon Christ's righteousness not ours. We are put right with God not on account of something done by us or from within us but for us. We constantly look within to I'm sorry if we constantly look within to see how well we're doing will feel as if we have no standing before God. But when we realize that God's eternal purpose to conform us to the image of his son and that the ongoing process of obeying Christ enables that very thing, we will begin to experience the spirit-empowered joy that God so graciously provides. Maybe as we've read these words of encouragement, you've considered what has been purchased for us and given to us freely, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into his family, a relationship with God, triumph over evil, and you thought to yourself, you know what, that that sounds a lot like the kind of good news that I heard the prophets proclaim in the Old Testament when they described the new covenant. If you're Unfamiliar. Let me read to you some verses out of Jeremiah 31. Verse 31 um, through a little bit in the end of the chapter. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore. Ezekiel 36 says something similar. And as a church, we celebrate the good news of the new covenant in two different ways. One is baptism, where we celebrate the fact that we have been united with Christ in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And so as we bring people down into the water, signifying the fact they've been united with Christ in his death, and when they are brought out of the water, we are celebrating that we have been brought into a new covenant. We're gonna do that as a family on July 10th. And so if you would like to be baptized and celebrate the good news of the new covenant as a family together be able to bear witness to what Jesus has done for you Uh, we would love for you to be able to be baptized that day you just need to let Pastor Kyle know by next week the other celebration that we have as a family is communion and this morning we're we're going to get to celebrate that as a family and in doing so we're going to get to enjoy the fellowship with God and his people the joy of of being with God and his people by remembering the life and death of Jesus Christ. And so if, if you are a believer in here and you did not get the elements on the way in, just shoot up your hand. One of the ushers will come and make sure that you're served. This is a celebration for all believers. However, it is for believers only. Earlier I said I, I know that there are uh, young believers and mature believers in this auditorium we're glad that you're here. We want you to eat and commune with us in joy. But we also know that more than likely in a crowd of this size, there are those who've not put their faith in Jesus Christ, who've not been born again. And just like John's words in verses 12 through 14, do not apply to you if you are not a child of God. This celebration is not for you. At least not yet. Yet. I mean, you're here. If you've not believed that Jesus is Lord and Savior, if you've not put your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you don't think Jesus is the meaning of life, we're glad you're here. And we're praying for you. There was a group praying this morning at 8.30 in the room just on the other side that for those who might come this morning who have not trusted Jesus yet, might this morning believe that might believe that at no cost to you based on nothing that you do just by faith alone in Christ alone you can experience new life forgiveness of sins adoption into his family relationship with God overcoming bondage addiction and so if in that moment you feel the Lord calling to you saying I want you to be my son I want you to be my daughter afraid that you would receive that message as good news. Place your trust in Jesus Christ. Be saved and then be able to commune with us. Be able to eat and remember the work of Christ together. Celebrate that he has ushered in a new covenant. If that's true of you this morning, uh, we'd love if you just told Pastor Kyle next, next week so you can get baptized this summer. So as we eat and drink, I want to read these words from Paul. Speaking to the church in Corinth, he says, For what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I want to do that together as a family. I want to take the bread and I want to remember this is the body of Christ was broken for you because the God of the universe loved you enough knowing all that you've done and ever will do and i'm going to give my son the perfect spotless lamb to come and be the sacrifice for your sin would you eat and remember that and i want to drink the cup together and i want to do so with the great joy that comes from knowing that you are perfectly forgiven for his name's sake that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And now he stands before the Father pleading for us every day, reminding the Father, though he doesn't need reminding, that's my brother, that's my son, that's my daughter whose blood has washed away their sins. They stand before you fully righteous, not because of works that they've done, but because of my life. Would you drink and remember the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to walk as your people in a manner worthy of the gospel that has saved us. We want to live lives that are fully pleasing to you. We want to bear fruit in every good work. We want to increase in the knowledge of who you are. We want to be strengthened with all of the power According to your glorious might, we want to endure patiently with joy. We give you thanks because you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your children. You've delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of your son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Father, I pray that the beauty and all of the good news that John has to share with us this morning would wash over us afresh, that we might bask in the good news of it, that it might radiate out from us, no longer bearing the burden and guilt and shame of our sin, but fully and freely forgiven, adopted, knowing you, Having victory. Lord, I pray that we would not just know it, I pray that we would experience it for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name.